Good morning. My name is Peter Kroll. I am one of the elders here for our church. And you may be pleased to know that on Facebook, I have 1,244 friends. What was that? Yes, the day of salvation is near. Now, many of those are people I met just once and happened to connect with on Facebook. Many of them are just people who went to the same high school that I went to. Some of those, of course, were actual friends with me at the time, but many of them were people who wouldn't have given me the time of day back then, and yet now they want to be friends on Facebook. However, one of my oldest and very best friends isn't even on Facebook. It's a fellow named Ryan, who is a classmate of mine from college. And in the 18 years since we graduated from college, we have never lived in the same place. We have never worked for the same company. We have never been a part of the same church. We have never rubbed shoulders in the same community. The closest we came to one another, physically speaking, was for a period of five years when I lived in the same town as his in-laws. So whenever he and his family would come and visit the in-laws, they'd stop in and see us as well. And yet, despite this lack of physical closeness, while this relationship with Ryan doesn't come anywhere near the depth of friendship I have with my extraordinary wife, Erin, this friendship with Ryan has been one of the most encouraging and richest experiences I've had with another human being. Every year for the last 18 years, Ryan has sent me a handwritten card on my birthday reminding me of how he praises God for our friendship. I try to return the favor on his birthday, but honestly, I'm not nearly as faithful with it as he is. Some years we've been in contact only two or three times. Other years we've seen each other or spoken on the phone more like five or seven times. In the last three years, we've had a lot of online communication together because we're blogging together and we've started producing some creative works together. But however frequent or infrequent the communication, Ryan and I always pick up right where we left off and strengthen one another in the Lord. Out of my 1,244 friends, this relationship is one I will not neglect. It is one relationship I must not neglect. My friendship with Ryan provides an analogy for us to what the Lord wants to teach us this morning about the one relationship we all must not neglect. This morning we're in Exodus chapter 23. We're going to start at verse 20. So if you have one of the church Bibles, we're on page 42. We've been studying through this amazing book of Exodus where we've seen God rescue his people, tearing down the house of their slavery in Egypt and making them his special treasured people, all so he could keep his promises to their ancestors. We've seen God expose their need for his instruction because while the people have come out of Egypt, Egypt 
has not yet come out of the people. They are still thinking, acting, and worshiping like Egyptians and not yet like the people God wants them to be. So we've seen from chapters 20 to 23, God has given them many instructions to explain their new life as worshipers of the true God. This section of Exodus is called the Book of the Covenant because it contains God's expectations for his relationship, his covenant, his relationship with them. And in this final section of the Book of the Covenant that we arrive at this morning, it's it's an epilogue of sorts for this Book of the Covenant. God speaks to these people, and in the process, he speaks to you and to me of the one relationship we must never neglect. He speaks of the one relationship that will either make you or break you. The relationship that motivates you to follow the Lord's instructions and the relationship that provides relief when you fail to follow the Lord's instructions. And this is a relationship that will not simply go away if you try to move away from it. You see, keeping all the rules that we've seen in these last few chapters, keeping those rules is a great idea. Life would go better for you if you could do it. But what's far more important is that you get this relationship right. Are you ready to meet God's angel and to develop the relationship with him that matters the most? You'll see in your outline I have two straightforward points this morning. How you treat God's angel determines how God treats you. First, how you treat God's angel. Second, determines how God treats you. Let's pray, and then I'll read the passage. Our Father in heaven, thank you for showing us yourself, and thank you for sending your angel to guard and protect and instruct us. Please help us to pay attention, pay careful attention, and to obey his voice, even as we obey your voice as we hear your word. Help us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to read Exodus 23, starting at verse 20. Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. But if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. When my angel goes before you and brings you to the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I blot them out, you shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do as they do, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars in pieces. You shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from among you. None shall miscarry or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. 
I will send my terror before you and will throw into confusion all the people against whom you shall come. And I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. And I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, and the Hittites from before you. I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. Little by little, I will drive them out before you until you have increased and possessed the land. And I will set your border from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the wilderness to the Euphrates. For I will give the inhabitants of the land into your hand and you shall drive them out before you. You shall make no covenant with them and their gods. They shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. First, let's see how, let's talk about how you treat God's angel. God begins in verse 20 by sending an angel before the people to guard them on their journey, and make sure they reach their destination. This angel is sort of a cross between a bodyguard and a bushwhacking tour guide. And God's primary concern has to do with how the people treat this angel. See in verse 21, he gives them two instructions. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Pay careful attention and obey his voice. Verse 22 repeats, Carefully obey his voice. Now, what does it mean to pay attention to this angel and to obey the voice of this angel? What does that look like? In this passage, we're not given much detail on that, except by way of contrast. So what does it not look like? Verse 23, when the angel goes before you, And God blots out the hostile nations. Then verse 24, he says, you shall not bow down to their gods nor serve them. Nor, he says, shall you do as they do. Presumably, I think he's saying, don't worship their gods. Don't worship in the way they worship their gods. And the the false worship of the people that land involved sexual rights. It involved self-harm. It involved child sacrifice, and other such terrible practices. In verse 32, he goes on to explain this contrast. If you're not paying attention, you're not obeying, here's what what you'll do. And I don't want you to do this. Verse 32, make no covenant with them, with these hostile nations, nor with their gods. And verse 33, don't live together with them in harmony, lest they make you sin. Serving their gods is like falling into a snare. It will surely be a snare to you. You will be caught in a trap and you will suffer damage because of it. So what we see is that the opposite of paying attention to the angel and obeying the voice of the angel, the opposite of that is serving other gods, particularly the Canaanite gods at that time. Yet the Lord sets up even another contrast to that. He says, don't serve these false gods. And in contrast to that, see verse 25. He says, you shall serve Yahweh your God. 
Remember, the, the word Lord in all capital letters in your Bible is God's personal name, Yahweh. You shall serve Yahweh your God. Now, hang on a second. I thought the point was to pay attention to the angel and obey the angel. The contrast to that is serving false gods. But the reverse contrast coming back is serving Yahweh himself. We can't really clarify how we must treat this angel or what that means until we can clarify who this angel really is. Because in this passage, there is a strange awkwardness all throughout regarding the distinction between Yahweh God and his angel whom he sends before them. You might have caught this as I read in in verse 25. He says, you shall serve Yahweh your God and he will bless your bread and your water and I will take your sickness away from you. What's with this he and I? Can, Can he not get his pronouns right? Is he talking about himself in the third person or in the first person? Or is it the angel who will bless the food, but Yahweh, the one who is speaking, who will take away the sickness? There's a little bit of confusion there. But it doesn't stop there. Look at verse 21. He says, obey, pay attention to him and obey his voice. But verse 22 says, if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say. So he seems to be equating the angel's voice with what I, Yahweh, say. Huh. And verse 21 also says, Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression. You get that? This angel has authority to forgive their sins. Why is that? The reason in that verse is, For my name is in him. Now that phrase, for my name is in him, that could mean, that could be as simple as to mean something like, he speaks with my authority as my ambassador. Or, it could signal, as I think it does in light of all the rest of the evidence from this passage, that this angel is in fact a manifestation to the people of Yahweh himself. We must see that there is some fuzziness here regarding the identity of this, this angel. Now, God has used angels before. We saw angels in in, in the book of Genesis. Some angels accompanied the Lord as he visited Abraham. And Jacob saw a vision of angels going up and down a staircase. And later in the scripture, we're told that this covenant between God and Israel, given at Mount Sinai, was delivered through angels. But this angel right here in this chapter is not like the other angels. This angel could very easily be mistaken for God himself. This angel has the attributes of God. He has the role of God. He has the authority of God. And he even has the expectations of God for the people. It's not a stretch to consider this angel as a manifestation of God himself. Yet we must also see the angel is distinct from God. Because God says, I send an angel before you. So. There's a distinction here, but a sameness at the same time. But this explains why the opposite of obeying the angel is serving other gods. 
The point is this. This figure, the angel here, is very, very important. This figure is a physical manifestation to these people of God himself. Therefore, pay attention to him. Obey him. Do not rebel against him. Do not serve other gods. Is that clear enough at this point? Let's now see why this matters. Why this matters. We talked about how you treat God's angel. Now, point number two. That determines how God treats you. Because there is such overlap here between God and the angel, I'm not even sure I can parse out which figure does what in the passage. The pronouns keep changing. He and I seem to be interchangeable. So let me just list all the benefits given here of paying attention and obeying. In verse 21, the implicit benefit is you, will, you can have your transgressions pardoned. Because if you, if you rebel, he will not pardon your transgression. The implication is if you obey... He will pardon your transgression. Verse 25. He provides food and water. And he provides health. Because he blesses the bread and water and takes away the sickness. Verse 26. He grants fertility. None will miscarry or be barren in your land. And he also grants longevity. I will fulfill the number of your days. And that's interesting because these are things that were promised by all the false gods. Those false gods in Canaan said, Worship me, and none shall be barren in your land. Worship me, and your crops will produce abundant bread. Worship me, and you will live a long life. But only Yahweh can truly deliver on those promises. There are more benefits. Verse 27, he says, I will... Terrify your enemies before you even go into battle. At the beginning of the verse, and at the end of verse 27, he says, I will cause your enemies to flee from you during battle. In verses 28 to 30, he talks about how he will drive out the hostile nations gradually. Verse 29, he does it little by little to protect them from the desolation that will come when the wild beasts are invited in. And in verse 30, He drives the nations out gradually to give them time, the time they need to be ready to take on the responsibility of all this land. And then in verse 31, he promises them massive borders, a huge region that will be theirs. All these benefits that God will give to them if they pay attention and obey his angel. God wants these people to understand a basic truth. That everything they need and everything they want depends simply on the Lord to provide it through his angel. All the gods of the nations promise to provide such things, but only one God can keep those promises. And that God has sent his angel to be his representative, to take care of his people, and to guide and instruct them. And so the lesson for us is simple as well. Everything we need and everything we want depends on the Lord to provide it through his angel. But as we read the Bible, there's, there, there's something important I need to talk about here. Because we come across amazing promises like those in this chapter. But we have to be really careful not to take those promises out of context. As though they were made and written directly to us. 
The New Testament tells us that all of these things in the Old Testament were written for us, for our instruction, but that's not the same thing as being written to us. So what I mean by that is, is uh, he, you know, he says here in, in verse, uh, what was it, 26, none shall miscarry or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. He talked about taking away sickness from them if they obey. Now we've had a number of families in our church who trust and obey God, who listen to his voice and pay attention. They love the Lord Jesus Christ whom he has sent, and yet, yet they have miscarried children, tragically, or suffered chronic sickness. This does not mean that, that we have done something wrong, and it doesn't mean that God is not keeping his word. These promises in this chapter were made to the Israelites who had just come out of Egypt. And so we can't blindly assume that every detail fits our situation. But we can assume something. We can assume that, that our God is, this is the same God we worship. He has not changed. These specific promises were meant to communicate something to these people that everything they need and everything they want depends on him to provide it through his, his angel. And that key point was written for our instruction. That point is just as true today as it was back then. Just as God sent his angel, a visible representation of himself, to lead and guide these people in a pillar of cloud and fire, so also has he now sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be the Savior of the world. The Lord Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. He is the Word made flesh, the exact representation of God's nature. Jesus is so closely identified with Yahweh, the Creator, that Jesus can say things like, I and the Father are one. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And Nobody comes to the Father except through me. And yet Jesus endured sickness and pain so we could be healed. Jesus suffered the wrath of his enemies so that we could become God's friends. And Jesus' death, just like the angel here in Exodus, led the conquest of the new land of promise. Jesus' death brought about the greatest conquest in history. As he conquered sin and Satan, he terrorized the principalities and powers of this present evil age, and he established a new order of peace and justice. And so, Jesus Christ is the supreme angel of God. He is the one with whom we have to deal. He is the one who makes us or breaks us. Pardoning our transgression becoming an adversary to our adversaries. How does this apply? Do you love the Lord Jesus with a love incorruptible? Do you pay attention to him carefully and obey his voice? If you're not sure whether Jesus is the one that you should love and follow, today is the day. Don't let any more time go by. Without this relationship with Jesus, you are stuck in your sin 
which must be paid for. Without this relationship with Jesus, all bets are off. You have no assurance that it will ever go well with you. Whoever has Jesus Christ has life. Whoever does not have Jesus does not have life. But if you love Jesus with a love incorruptible, then the Bible pronounces imperishable blessing on you. Children, children, Jesus wants you to be a part of his kingdom. Jesus is the one we must love and obey all the time. It's wonderful if you love your parents, if you love your friends, even once in a while if you love your siblings. But the most important person to love is Jesus. Always Jesus. Forever Jesus. For the youth and the the teenagers here, you are growing so quickly. And we love to see your love for the Lord Jesus. The world will promise you so many things. You need to know the world promises you life and happiness, and friendship, and acceptance, and fulfillment. But you have to remember that it's all a lie. Jesus alone can give these things to you. Always Jesus. Forever Jesus. And I have one final application for all of us as we head into the the Lord's Supper. And this is how the passage most challenges me as I have considered it. In verses 29 and 30, the the Lord tells the Israelites that his conquest of the land would take place little by little. And that was for their good. It was to give them time to be ready for it, and it was to protect them against all the wild beasts that would come in as the land lies desolate. And the truth is for us, we also wait while the kingdom of God comes in stages, little by little. And Jesus leads the advance of his kingdom little by little. Jesus inaugurated his kingdom with his death and resurrection. But then it it came in another stage when the Holy Spirit descended on his followers in Acts chapter 2. And we have the Holy Spirit now. And his kingdom spread further as the mission went out to all nations, little by little by little. And today it continues gaining more and more ground. And yet, we still have to pray, just as Jesus told his disciples to pray, Our Father in heaven, may your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we wait eagerly for the day when Jesus will return And set everything right. Eliminating evil and removing our sin once and for all. But in the meantime, we must wait patiently for this day to come. When you trust in Jesus, the hard things do not all go away immediately. He expects us to be patient with the process while he steadily but surely grows the borders of his kingdom on this earth. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells a parable about the kingdom of heaven. He says the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but that man's enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat. And God, the master farmer, refuses to pull up the weeds. 
lest he also rip up some of the wheat with it. And when Jesus explains the parable, he says that the world, this world, will always house a mix of true worshipers and sons of the evil one. They will coexist until the end of the age when all are harvested and separate into their final destinies. And this is for our good. God does not want to uproot all causes of sin and all lawbreakers right away, lest he damage his own people in the process. So let us be patient. Because if God were to uproot all evil right away, how many of us would still be around? I don't think any. Let us be patient and not expect an immediate resolution to all of our problems. And for me, this is one of the hardest things about God's kingdom, that delay of final fulfillment. But this delay deepens my trust as I learn day by day that nothing can rescue me or make me truly happy except the Lord Jesus alone. And this is why the New Testament says that when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we proclaim his death until he comes. We are eagerly awaiting his arrival to make it all right, to end the conquest, get rid of all those wild beasts and all those who sin and do evil. We want him to make all things right again, and his death alone is what will get us there. So we see in Exodus 23... That the way you treat God's angel determines how God treats you. Other gods, the world around us makes promises that they cannot keep. But only the Lord Jesus can make or break us. This angel, he is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He is the one relationship we must never neglect. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven. We give you thanks for the Lord Jesus, the one who has gone before us. He is the Lord. We want to hear his voice. We want to pay close attention and to obey his voice. And Lord, you've given us all kinds of instructions about how life works best. And that is so helpful and it's so important. But Lord, none of us can do it. And so our hope is in Jesus to clear the way for us and to make us right, that we might follow you and be your people. And thank you, Lord, for coming to be with us and to grow your kingdom. Give us patience to wait for you as you establish your kingdom little by little. And we can't wait for the final day when Jesus will come back and make it all right. Help us to be patient and to endure until that day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.